0: Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas we're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and his unique plan for your life. this morning, as, as David mentioned, I am preaching the last message in our transform series with you those of you in small groups having your last meeting this week and and daily readings carrying you all the way through to next Saturday um, We've got, we got Good Friday, we've got baptisms, and ultimately Easter, and we have heard so many stories of God doing some incredible things, incredible transformation in lives. Uh, I, I get staff send me emails, some of you send me emails, and just, it's, it's wondrous to see how God is working. We've seen over 750 of you in small groups, and like 1,200 plus of you using these transformed journals, but... This is what I want to say to you. The the end of transformed does not mark the end of transformation that God wants to do in you. This is really important. Many of you have started spending time with God each day through your journal and, and other things, and maybe that's something new for you, and I want to encourage you to continue And we've put, as as was said before, we put some ideas, some what's next ideas right on our website, a link right on the front page. If you haven't already, take time to talk about this in in your group this week. Don't let this good work that God has begun in you fall by the wayside. Don't let it kind of dribble out. Don't let it just kind of suddenly go away. God has so much more for you and anything good you have experienced over these last several weeks, just a taste of what God wants to do. And and, and let me say thank you to the 125, over 125 of you who have been leading our groups. Man, and some of you doing it for the very first time, you guys are great. You have done a fantastic work. We've just heard so many good things and, and all the things that God's doing. And, and you leaders, you hosts, have been, been a part of what God is doing to invest in the lives of others and help them grow spiritually. So don't underestimate the value of that. We want to hear from you hosts. We sent you an email survey uh, on Thursday of this week. Uh, if you didn't get it, let us know. If you haven't already completed it, I know I completed mine, do so because we want to be better at leading everyday people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Because over these last several weeks, we have, we've looked at key areas of our lives. that are represented by these icons up here across the front uh, where we are seeking God's transformation in our lives. Spiritual health, physical, mental, emotional, relational, financial health last week with David. And today, we wrap up with vocational health, looking at how we can face the giants that are in our lives. You know, back in the 60s, uh, for those of you who remember that far back, and for those of you who can read, Martin Luther King Jr. told the world he had a dream. I have a dream, he said, and dreams like his point us to a greater future. In in fact, I would tell you that without dreams, we drift. We don't go anywhere. Our ability to dream is a God-given gift that enables you and me and and all human beings who use that gift to envision a better future. Great achievements in this life begin with a vision, with a dream of what God can do. Unfortunately, while some figure out God's dream for their life, others often are just afraid to start. What causes some of us to pull back from our dreams are what we perceive to be the giants standing in our way these giant problems bust our dreams, bust our bubble, telling us we can't do that, there's no way, it's too big, it's, it's beyond what is reasonable. It, it may be financial, it may be emotional, it may be relational, it may be spiritual. That those, those negative voices we begin to listen to and we end up getting stuck in mediocrity. How do we face those giants in our lives, and our work, the rest of our days. Fortunately, the Bible gives us a great story, many of you know it really well, of how to deal with giants in our lives. It's the story of David and Goliath. So we're going to turn, turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 17, that's about the front third of the book of your Bible. Uh, or on your mobile devices, open the YouVersion Bible app, go to the live page, or pull out your notes that are in the bulletin, or in your Journal, page 182, is the place for weekend sermon notes. And any, any of those work, however you want to do that. I, I want to just kind of begin reading the first several verses of chapter 17 just to kind of set the stage. The Philistines now mustered their army for battle. So the Philistines and Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. Then Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel." He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet, and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. Think about that. He also wore bronze leg armor, and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds by itself. His armor-bearer walked ahead of him, carrying a shield. Now, a little background. The Philistines lived along the coastal plain of what we today call Israel, the, the, the eastern edge of the, the Mediterranean Sea. They were probably originally seafarers who came from the Isle of Crete and, and settled into that area, and they tended to, to stay along the plain, and their technology, they were actually more technologically advanced than the Israelites. They knew how to work iron, and they were, it enabled them to make chariots, and chariots worked great on, on coastal plains like Houston, not so much in hills and, and foothills and mountains. And that's where the Israelites tended to live. In the mountains that, that ranged inward, 30, 40 miles uh, from the coastal plain, running north, south, between the, the Mediterranean and the Jordan River. And that was their place. And so the, the Philistines did not, were not able to use a lot of their technology up in that place But they were still a constant thorn in Israel's side, and we read in this passage that they're beginning, there's a battle going on, that they've come up into the foothills, if you will, and Israel's come down into the foothills for battle. They're they're aligned along a valley kind of on the north and south hills of this valley, facing off to each other. and. The Philistines then, after they've been there a while, and no one kind of wants to surrender the high ground, no one wants to be put at a tactical disadvantage, the the Philistines send out their champion, a mighty warrior, a giant, literally, who challenges the Israelites to one-on-one, winner-take-all combat, and that was not uncommon back then. Instead of thousands of people getting killed, you get one warrior from each side coming together, battling, winner-take-all. So people often think that David had a slingshot. That's kind of the vision that we have. Got a picture here of of an example of a slingshot. But in reality, what the Bible tells us is he had a sling. Very, actually very different. And what's interesting about it is the sling, you and I may not think about this, because most of us, at least a lot of us guys, know how to make slingshots or we made slingshots at one time or another. We may or may not have made slings because it takes more skill. But the sling is actually more lethal than the slingshot. Some folks who, I don't know, maybe they didn't have any better time, better thing to do with the times or not, but they did a lot of math, and they determined that an experienced slinger can literally get the revolutions of the sling going where they can get six to even seven revolutions a second. And when they release the stone, it can actually reach speeds upward of slightly over 100 feet a second. 100 feet a second. That means if David and Goliath were standing 100 feet apart, when David released that stone, it would hit Goliath in a second or less. I mean, you think about that time, how fast that is. I, I don't, I'm not great with distances, but I'm guessing I'm something like 100 feet or a little bit more from the back of this auditorium. So you can see that's a pretty good distance. That's a pretty good distance. And what's interesting is based on the kinds of rock that was in that area, they did some more math and they determined that the stopping power of a sling of a a rock traveling at 100 plus feet per second with the weight and and the the hardness of it probably had the stopping power of a 45 caliber handgun. 45 caliber. Now that's a big weapon. That's, That's really significant. And we know from medieval times and things that we've read that there were experienced slingers who could hit birds on the fly. They were that good. And so we have no reason to believe that David was not very good, at least. In addition, we we look at the size of Goliath and we think, man, huge. I remember one time, confession in, in college, I went and saw Andre the Giant wrestle. Seven foot four, I think, You know, 450 pounds. I mean, that guy is a monster. But is he fast or quick? I mean, he, somewhat. But here's the thing. From what we know of the human anatomy, from what we know that he was wearing, just the mail was 125 pounds of brass, not counting the leggings, the helmet, the spear, of which the, the iron head was 15 pounds. If I had to guess, I would say he was wearing something close to 200 pounds of armor, And there are other indications for those who who know what to look for in in the Scripture um, that Goliath was probably actually very limited in motion and movement and perhaps even vision. So while the Israelites saw this giant, fearsome warrior Goliath coming out before them, David, who appeared on the scene, may have seen the real truth, that Goliath was slow, limited in mobility, and that an agile, quick slinger who could keep his distance could take all the shots he needed until he got one that counted. I mean, you think about it. Somebody, nine-foot guy, are you going to go walk up? He says, come to me and fight me. Are you going to walk up to him and say, okay, I'm going to take you head on? you going to do that? Some of you are big and strong. I'm not going to do that, though. I'm going to keep my distance. And my, the reality is, there was no way they were going to, Goliath was going to get his hands on him. David, we talk about David as like it was an impossible thing. And, and when we look at it through one set of eyes, and we look at the obvious and we look at things in, in one particular way, absolutely, it looked incredibly impossible. But perhaps Many of the obstacles we face in life, which appear so fearsome, depressing, or insurmountable, we can be overcome if we're willing to trust God to see with different eyes that giants really can be slain. It's not as hard as it appears. Rick Warren said, it is unlikely that you're ever going to have to face a physical giant like David did. But it is highly likely that you're going to have to face a whole lot of other common giants. Giants on financial problems, relational problems, marriage problems, work problems. Problems that keep you from going after your dream. And the question we've got to ask ourselves is, do we see the giants legitimately? Or do we allow the, the PR, do we allow the, the, the culture and the common thinking to overwhelm us so that we don't see the truth? but only what our fears want us to see. David faces the giant in 1 Samuel 17. But before he fought Goliath, the truth is, he had to fight some other giants. Not physical giants, but giants kind of in the mind that could keep him from fulfilling the dream, the destiny God had for him. And, And the neat thing is, while you and I don't probably face physical giants, You and I do face our own share of giants. So, to understand what David faced, I'm gonna just kind of back up real quick to chapter 16 of 1 Samuel, where God has given his prophet Samuel a task. He is to go, and he, he is the one who previously had anointed Saul as Israel's very first king. Now he has a new task because Saul, it turns out, has been a lousy king. He has not trusted God, he has taken things into his own hands. And, and so God has decided that Saul's days are numbered. He calls Samuel to anoint a successor. And, but all he tells him is it's gonna be the son of a man named Jesse in Bethlehem. Doesn't give him a name, no specifics. So Samuel goes to Jerusalem and he finds out Jesse has several sons, not just one son. Now, as Jesse brings the sons in, he sees the oldest one, tall, handsome. And he thinks, that's gotta be the one. Why would he do that? Because we often think the oldest, the, the handsome, the tallest is the, the logical one, isn't it? That's the, that's the way a the picture often gets painted. But he senses God telling him, hey, don't look at the outward appearance. That's not what I look at. I look at the heart. And so God leads Samuel to pass on the oldest and in fact, to pass on the next, next six sons. Seven sons, none of them seem right. He wonders, is this all your boys? It's a lot. He said, no, I got one, my youngest. He's out taking care of the sheep. He's just a little runt. He's, he's young. He's, you, you couldn't be wanting him, but Samuel says, send him my way. And as soon as God reveals him to Samuel, he knows he's the one and anoints him as the next king. King. Big deal. And you know what happens next? Nothing. Nothing. Even though Samuel has anointed David, his father sends him back out to the sheep. That's nice. Nice to hear you're going to be king. Now go back out there and take care of the sheep. In fact, there's a delay, perhaps two decades, before David actually saw the fulfillment of the dream God gave him. And that's what happens in our lives too. You see, David had other giants to face, and the first one he faced, the one we often face ourselves, is delay. No dream is fulfilled instantly. In verse 12, it says, Jesse's three oldest sons, Eliab, Abinadab, and Shemiah, had already joined Saul's army to fight the Philistines. David was the youngest son. David's three oldest brothers stayed with Saul's army, but David went back and forth so he could help his father with the sheep in Bethlehem. David's dream faced delay when he was held back by his father to care for the sheep. And, and, and maybe it's because of your age, or your experience, or your race, or your gender, or your appearance, or your, where you were born, whatever it may be, that perhaps you too have known what it's like to face discrimination sometimes even the people who hold us back, the people who held you back, were even, in fact, people who loved you. I mean, that appears to be the case with David. His father loved him, and we don't have any reason to suspect that. He knows that David has been anointed by God to be the king, but he sends him back out to take care of the sheep. Sometimes a parent or a family member, a friend, has their plan for your life. Some of you ever feel that? Your mom, your dad, someone had a... Their plan. Here's how I want you to. This is what I want you. To. Maybe it was spoken. Maybe it was unspoken. And it didn't matter what God had for you. And sometimes, with the best of intentions, they hold you back from God's dream for your life. But then war comes with the Philistines. Jesse's three oldest sons go to battle. Jesse sends David to bring food to his brothers, and when he arrives, he hears the giant Goliath coming down the hillside, yelling taunts at the soldiers of Israel. And David is a sharp young man. He sees that everybody's scared. Nobody wants to do anything. And this is the second giant we can face in trying to fulfill God's dream for us, and it is the giant of discouragement. Discouragement. David faced discouragement because everybody around him was afraid. They felt... There's no way we can defeat that guy. There's no way I can can battle him. And they were convincing each other it was impossible. Goliath was creating this climate of fear. Verse 8, Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight? Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we'll be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. They're afraid. They're demoralized. They're filled with anxiety, hopelessness. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever found yourself in that situation in your life? Are you you there maybe even right now? Maybe there are folks around you saying, there's no way we can solve this. There's no, there's no way through it. It can't be done. It'll never happen. Whatever. Everybody on Israel's hill was convinced their situation was hopeless. And until David arrived and he brought a fresh set of eyes to a situation, nothing was going to change. Sometimes the professionals are wrong. Sometimes the crowd is wrong. Why did they get so discouraged? Why did they want to give up? They were listening to the wrong voice, to the voice of a giant every day, twice a day. Verse 16 says, for 40 days, every morning and every evening, the Philistine champion strutted in front of the Israelite army. For 40 days, he'd been insulting him. For 40 days, he had been ridiculing them. He had been casting aspersions on their manhood. All this kind of stuff. No wonder they were demoralized. The question we have to ask ourselves is, to whom are we listening? What voice am I hearing? What voice am I giving maybe some credence? Are are we listening to someone who says it can't be done? Are we listening to say it's too big? That our, our dreams are impossible? Who says we're not good enough? There's no way you could ever do that. I want to tell you, if you and I listen to negative people long enough, we'll get negative. I mean, it's it's contagious. Negativity is contagious. So is fear. So is discouragement. Sometimes you and I need a fresh voice who see things differently. In fact, in reality, who sees things the way they are. Verse 23 is, he was talking with them. Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. Then David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. I mean, here's a thought. Don't hang out with negative people. Don't hang out with fearful people if you can avoid it. Because we often become like the people we hang out with, right? Moms, dads, you, we, we tell our kids to be careful of the crowd they hung in, our parents told us, be careful of who you're hanging out with. There's nothing different, it's contagious. A third giant we face that resists our dreams is disapproval. David had to face disapproval. His, his brother questions his motives. We want everybody to like us, to give us their approval, but if I am seeking after God's dream for my life, I want to tell you, there will always be people who say it can't be done, who think your, your, your values, your motives are crazy. They'll misunderstand, or there will be attacks, or people will judge you, and that disapproval is a real challenge to get through, as David experienced. Verse 26, David asked the soldier standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Verse 28, but when David's older brother Eliab heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. What about those few sheep? Few sheep, that's pretty down derogatory. Few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of. I know about your pride and deceit. You just want to see the battle. David replies, what have I done now? I was only asking a question. I mean, that conversation kind of sounds familiar. It is. It's classic sibling rivalry. Most of us, many of us have experienced it or we're parents of it. All too often, the ones closest to us can't see what we can see. Can't imagine what, what we could accomplish by the grace of God. They think they know us. They think they know everything, but they don't know us the way God knows us. He created us. Jesus had to deal with this in his own family. As far as we know, none of his siblings accepted him as the Lord and Savior until after his resurrection. The big question is, is not who do we think we are, but who do we think God is. A big God has big goals. Because anyone can do little things, but, but big things point beyond individuals, beyond people, and our shortcomings to God. We have to look at them and say, I know you couldn't have done that, but it happened. There must be a God. There has to be a God. God is so interested in big dreams that, that seem sure to fail unless he steps in and he bails us out. Some of you know, but some of you may not, several years ago, we were running out of time to buy some land. In fact, our, our farthest southern part of our building is actually on some of that land. and And, the price of the land was just under a million dollars, and it seemed that God was calling us to do a single offering to raise that money uh, at one time and A lot of folks didn 't think it could be done. a lot of folks thought it was crazy a lot of folks thought you know you 'll do something, but we're, but it 's not going to happen and yet some of you know we ended up raising like fifteen or twenty percent more in a single offering over a million over a million one for For that, and and God gets all the glory there. God, that was God at work, God doing that. And and the thing we have to sometimes do is we have to decide what matters most, the approval of others or the approval of God. What can God do versus what can I do? Honestly, we're not here to curry the favor of those around us. We're not here to fall into their expectations ultimately, but but God's expectations. Only his thoughts, only his plans count forever, beyond this life, beyond what we think. There's still a fourth giant, a fourth barrier that resists our dreams, and that's doubt. Can I do this? Can, can I really do this? Is God really calling me to this? There, there are people around you who will tell you you can't. And, and many thought that here in our church. In David's case, the expert doubted his ability. King Saul, who had been a warrior all his adult life, When he hears about David, he invites him to come see him. But listen to what happens. Verse 32, don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Saul replied, don't be ridiculous. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. The expert says, you can't do it. And, And that in itself is enough to often get us starting to doubt ourselves. But the experts are not always right as this story tells us so clearly. So, quickly, how do we defeat these giants? And We do exactly what David did. First, I remember how God has helped me in the past. And this is a huge confidence builder, as we intentionally decide to remember all the ways God has been involved in our lives, in our past, because he can give us confidence for the future. I remember times when God has come through, when God has done things in my life or in the life of others, and, and it makes a huge difference. Verse 34, David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I've done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. David remembered how God had led him to victory before, had got him through some tough times. Over and over again, God reminded the Israelites of how he had led them out of Egypt. He had cared for them for 40 years in the wilderness. God even instituted feasts and holy days as annual reminders. And that continued into the New Testament. And here we are a week from Easter. Why do we celebrate Easter? to remind us of what God has done and his promises of what he will do for us. If, if, out of sight, out of mind. If I'm not celebrating, if I'm not remembering that the worst that life could throw at Jesus, death, did not defeat him, in fact, he arose, and that he tells us that those of us who choose to follow him, to commit our lives to him, we too will rise That puts stuff in my life in a little bit different perspective. I remember that God enabled us to pay cash for land. I remember that He raised Jesus from the grave. And He'll lead you into the dream He has for you if you remember. Second, I need to use the tools that God has given me now. Do I think I I, I have everything I need when I'm called to do something? Maybe not. But if God is calling me to it and calling me to it now, then I have all the tools he needs me to have in this moment. I don't wait for what I don't have. Enough money or education or connections or opportunities. I use what I do have now. David goes to Saul, and Saul wants David to fight the giant using Saul's armor. Put, put it on. Now, Saul's tall, David's short, Saul's broad shoulders. We don't know about David, but probably nothing similar. And, and can you just imagine him putting that armor on? It's just a joke. It says, verse 38, Saul gave David his armor, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped a sword over it, took a step or two to see what it was like for he'd never worn such things before. "'I can't go in these,' he protested to Saul. "'I'm not used to them.' So David took them off again. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them in his shepherd's bag. Then armed only with his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. David goes with what he knows rather than using something he's unfamiliar with. Here's the thing, when you start going after the dream God has given you, there are gonna be folks who oppose it, oppose you, others who encourage you to do it, but they will want you to do it their way, regardless of how God has gifted you. Saul wanted David to fight Goliath with Saul's armor, the way Saul knew to do it, which obviously he was afraid himself to do because he hadn't done it for 40 days. Remember, God made you to be you. He didn't make you to be like anyone else. He didn't make you to be like the person seated next to you. He didn't make you to be like me or like Betsy, or anyone you know or imagine or can think of. God's going to use you, the way you are, to fulfill the dream he's given you. And he expects you to do it the way he created you to do it, and not the way someone else would. David used his trusty sling and stones, which he'd used to defeat enemies before. Ecclesiastes 11.4, which in oddly enough, is penned by David's own son, Solomon, says, farmers who wait for perfect weather never plant. If we wait for the perfect conditions, we'll never start on our dream. When we're faced with delay and discouragement, disapproval and doubt, today is the day. We need to choose to trust God that he has a plan and trust him to fulfill it in us. The third thing David did, he ignored those who were trying to bust the dream God gave him it's interesting that, that David goes out to fight this giant that no one else will face, and he, nobody's encouraging him, not his brothers, not King Saul. In another setting, David would, would face him discouragement, seemed to be defeated, and he refused to surrender his dream, and the Bible says this, David found strength in the Lord his God. David's encouragement, David's strength came not from his, his brothers, not from his father, not from his king, from the Lord God, and this is important because if you are going after the dream God has given you, you're gonna to have to learn to find your strength and your encouragement from Him. You know, positive thinking is okay. In fact, it's better than the opposite, negative thinking. But there are some things in our lives that positive thinking is not enough. You can think positively until the cows come home, but it's not gonna change sometimes what happens. What we need sometimes is a lot more than positive thinking. We need the grace of God at work in our lives, the power of the Holy Spirit living within us. We need the foundation of his love, his plan, to encourage us to find our strength in the Lord. And finally, like David, we have to expect God then to help us for God's, for God's glory. This is the faith factor. Listen to what David says to Goliath as he enters the battlefield. Verse 45, David replied to the Philistine. You come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today, the Lord will conquer you, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel, and everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. David's not saying, look what I did. Look what God's going to do. What are you expecting God to do in your life? i tell you this, God will probably not do any more than you expect him to do. God always works in concert with faith. Maybe not always the way we want or expect him to work, but without faith, there's no pleasing God. Jesus said, according to your faith, will it be done to you? In Hebrews 11, it says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Romans 14, everything that does not come from faith is sin. Your faith, your willingness to trust God has a huge impact on how God works in you. You don't have to be the smartest person, the wealthiest person, the best-looking person to choose to trust God. David knew God was there, leading him to the dream God had given him, and he knew as he trusted God, God would be glorified. There are a lot of things in your life and mine that we just don't have control over. You didn't choose your natural talent. You didn't choose when and where you'd be born. You didn't choose your race, your gender, your family. But you can choose if you're gonna trust God. And you don't have to wait for the perfect time, but but take the sling and stones, whatever God has given you for now, and see them for what they are. Powerful tools in the hands of one who trusts the Lord. You never know how your unwillingness to trust and follow God is affecting others. David's faith to overcome the giants before him enabled him to free, not just his family, but the nation of Israel from shame and tragedy of defeat. Over these last several weeks, many of you have begun or you you renewed a journey with God and, and to discover how much God wants to continue doing in you, to discover all that he can do, You and I, we need to continue working on our faith, often in simple, just daily ways. I want to tell you, he is not through with you yet. How do I know? Check your pulse. Is it beating? If it's beating, he's not through with you. He's got something more he still wants you to do. He's got a dream for you, and he is ready to transform you and help you overcome the giants to get there. Like David, you may be better prepared and equipped than you know. Maybe it's time to see the giants in your lives through the eyes of God rather than the eyes of those around us and realize nothing is too big for God, not even a giant. If you want to talk with some of our folks about maybe some of the giants in your lives. Our prayer team is going to be down here and they would love to talk with you, pray with you. You want to talk about your faith. You want to be baptized and you have never made a commitment to Jesus Christ in your life and you want to join us and do that on Good Friday. There are a lot of folks who would love to talk with you or to go to the baptism class right out those doors in just a moment. God's not through with you. This this transformed journey is just a beginning for those who have eyes to see. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your grace, which is sufficient for every need you lay on us. Help us to trust you. Help us to step out in faith. Help us to overcome the giants, to see them as you see them. Trust that you are bigger than any giant for the dreams that you have given us the vision, the life you have laid out before. Enable us to go from this place, men and women, students and children of God, who are committed to trust you. It doesn't matter how big or how little we are, how much we know, how much we don't know, what we have, what we don't have. Ultimately, like David, help us to just accept what we have, where we are, and trust them to you and let you do incredible thing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Good Friday, Easter coming. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.